Brother Lake. Amen. God bless you, brother. All right. Is this on? Good. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. And uh, I sure appreciate the opportunity to um, be with you all this morning. Amen. I'm from, well, I live almost as far south as you can live. <laughs> almost. Uh, you know, three hours we'll be at the Gulf. But anyway, uh, my accent might be noticeable, <laughs> but... Uh, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> Amen. I was in Portland, Maine a few years ago, and I asked the lady, I said, I've noticed here two accents. And uh, the pastor of the church that I was at, he, he had a different accent than some of the other members. But anyway, I asked her, why is there two accents? And she said, well... Mainers talk like me. And she said, those other jerks are from Boston. <laughs> and she said, we wish they would all go home. <laughs> she said, speaking of accents, she said, you're not from around here either, are you? I said, no, ma'am. She said, well, could you talk for me? And I said, sure, I can talk. I said, I'll give you all the different accents. I said, I have the Appalachian accent. You know what the Appalachian, you know what I'm talking about? And so I said, we, we have the, uh, the Highlander Appalachian accent, which is, could you get it for me? <laughs> did y'all have any idea what I just said? <laughs> Matt did. Yes, you want to interpret that, Matt? <laughs> so that's our, uh, our accent is... Uh, Appalachian, and then there's the South Alabama, the Southern Jaw, which you see, uh, you know, amplified on Hollywood never gets it right. They don't get anything right. Amen. Amen. Do you have a Hollywood type thing in Canada? You don't? Thank God. But anyway, they, they don't get it right. But then there's the southern accent, which I, I don't think I, I might have a touch of it, but it's like my daddy was a Republican. And we had a bottomland farm on the Escambia River. And we raised cotton and soybeans. You know what I'm talking about? But hopefully you can understand me this week. Amen. Maybe that breaks the ice a little bit. Yeah, Amen. All right. Well, again, I, Brother Lake, thank you so much for your hospitality and the invitation to be here. Amen. And uh, we have, I have known Brother Matt since he was, oh, 10, 10 years old. And so I can tell you some things about him. But I appreciate him and Miss Holly. They're a blessing. Amen. And uh, known the Voss family for many years. And so we appreciate the privilege to be here. Amen. And uh, we're in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. What time do we get done there, Brother Lake? <laughs> what time you what quit Sunday school? What, what time we quit Sunday school? Quarter to there. Okay. Uh, 
I'll do my best, but I can't stand a preacher that doesn't do what I tell him to do. When he's in my church. Pastored uh, 48 years, and uh, the Lord has allowed me to serve. My wife and I have served others for 48 years. Amen. And, uh, just this past year, I've retired from the, being the pastor. My son assumed that position, my youngest son. And thank you for supporting my oldest son, Brother Tony Wood in the Middle Amen. East. That's my oldest son. But uh, Daniel, my son Daniel, took the church. And so uh, the Lord's opened some doors. We've been traveling a good bit the past four or five years anyway. But uh, we've had some opportunities to go other places and preach. And I sure appreciate the privilege to be here. But anyway, I, mean, I tell the preacher a time frame. You know, you have special meetings and have, you know, 20 preachers. And you give a guy a time frame. Yeah. And if he goes over it, I'm done with him. I'm just, <laughs> uh, amen. amen. So I, I will respect your time. Your boundaries. Ezekiel chapter 1. <clears throat> I believe this. Let me, I'm going to introduce our Sunday school lesson by saying this this morning. When we speak of revival, we speak of going in this direction, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's not the direction of revival in the Bible. The direction of revival in the Bible is in this book. It's called humility. Amen. And uh, so I want to, I'll be, Lord willing, uh, preaching along those lines this week. Amen. Seldom do people think of revival as being down. It's always up, built. Yeah, amen. amen. Yeah, There's a difference. Amen. And uh, you can go up here with nothing. An empty wagon makes a lot of racket. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that's so hopefully the Lord will come and meet with us and do a work in our hearts this week. That'll be lasting. Amen. I hope. That's my prayer. Ezekiel chapter one. Let's begin reading in verse one. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of and I have no idea how this is pronounced. You don't either, so I'll just do what I can. Chibar? Yeah, <laughs> is that good enough? That the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel, the what? Priest. Priest the son of... Buzai, aren't you glad you don't have that name? In the land of the Chaldeans by the river Hebar, or Chebar, however, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Now I'll just read a few verses here for reference and we'll move on. Look at verse 4. And I looked and behold a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof is the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And so on. You can read the rest of this later. What, is, what we have a picture of here is what uh, Ezekiel saw in these visions of God. Is He saw the glory of God. Yes. That's what he saw. The Look at verse 28, the last verse in the chapter. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, 
so was the appearance of brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, Ezekiel and Daniel are prophets of the captivity. And, uh, of course, Jeremiah, he's, he's a priest as, or a prophet as well, and a priest during this period of time. And um, they were Levites. That's what it tells us there in the passage. And, of course, it, at this point, Ezekiel is in by the river Kibar in Babylon. He's a captive. And he no, he no longer can officiate in the offices that the Levites uh, occupied under the Levitical system of worship. He can do that no more. And he's 30 years old. That's the age of an officiating priest. When he becomes 30, he can work in the service of the tabernacle. So he's at that age, the Bible tells us there in verse 1. And so he cannot do what God originally had planned for him to do as a priest. So he assumes the spiritual aspect of the priestly ministry. The priests were also teachers. They taught the Word of God. Remember um, in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, they were, they were, they were, Ezra was a teaching priest. They taught the Word of God. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And so that's the position Ezekiel is in here. He becomes a prophet. He's, he's, he's led into the prophetic ministry because he can no longer officiate as a priest. And eventually, you know the story, Jeremiah goes to Egypt and Ezekiel winds up in Babylon along with Daniel. If you read 2 Kings chapter 24, I think it's verse 12, beginning, there are 10,000 captives, the best of the land, are carried to Babylon and they left the poorest. And so that's how Daniel and Ezekiel wind up in this strange place. Ezekiel and Daniel are contemporaries. And so he's reached this age of 30 years, the serving age of a priest, and this is when God's word comes to him. He has a different ministry, so the word of God comes to him. And, uh, of course, we have the book. It's uh, different than the prophetic ministry, Amen. amen? But the word of the Lord came to him. And he sees these visions of God's glory. Now, question, what is the glory of God? Now, there are many answers to that, and I cannot, I'm not going to deal with each one of them separately. I don't have time. Number one, the glory of God can be a visible thing in the Old Testament. Amen. You remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, a cloud yes, filled the house. You could see that. Now, we don't, we don't have that kind of manifestation of the glory of God today. But they did. That's the glory of God. Uh, the glory of God can be an ho- overwhelming experience of peace and joy that comes from your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We used to call that the old timers. They'd say, well, we got in the glory. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. That's God's manifested presence Amen. in a service. But yet the chief meaning of the glory of God in the Bible is defined for us in Exodus 15, 11. Would you turn there if you would? Exodus chapter 15. And, and read with me in verse 11, if you will. Exodus 15, verse 11. Now the context is the children of Israel have been delivered from Pharaoh and 
They're on the other side of the Red Sea having experienced a great deliverance. And now they're singing. And look at verse 11. It says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Notice the little g, among the gods. Amen. Who is like thee? Now what's that next phrase? Three words. What does that say? Glorious, Glorious in hope. Amen. So the word glory can be used in the sense of a boast. For example, if any man glory, let him glory in the Lord. That's in the context of a boast, something you're bragging about. What is God's chief boast? His holiness. You remember when Daniel was in Babylon, they said this about him. The spirit of the holy gods is within him. The Holy God. God reveals Himself in the Bible, first and foremost, as being holy. Amen. Amen. He, do, he doesn't possess holiness. He is holiness. Amen. Amen. Now, listen to me carefully. God's chief attribute is holiness. Amen. Amen. In other words, all of the attributes of God that reveals Himself to us in the Bible are submissive to this one chief attribute. Listen carefully. Amen. God never loved anyone at the expense of His holiness. Amen. Never. Amen. God never forgave us sin at the expense of His holiness. Amen. No, sir. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. God could not, God would not love anyone or forgive anyone if there were not a basis for Him to do so. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Yes, God is, He is holy and He's, we call, we say, we use this word in relation to God's holiness, it's ineffable. And what we mean by that is words cannot express it. Our words cannot express it. We are so familiar with sin. Amen. Amen. We are so familiar with sin, even our own. And we see it. We live in the midst of it. That really we cannot understand. We get a glimpse of it through conviction. Amen. Yes, sir. You know what conviction is? You know, you've, have you ever been under Holy Ghost conviction? Let me tell you what that is. That is God's feeling in you toward your sin. It grieves Him. Sin is a great grief to God. Did you know this morning, listen to me, holiness suffers in the presence of sin. And that's why our Lord was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief because he lived in the midst of sinful men. Amen. And it was a great grief to him. Amen. Amen How would you like to know every thought in this room and every mind? How would you like to know every secret thing of every heart in this room? If our Lord was among us here today, he would know all of that. Amen. Amen. 
God is holy. It's his chief attribute. All the other attributes of God are in submission to his holiness. You ever thought about this? You can take the word holy and any other attribute of God and you can adorn that attribute with the word holy. For example, holy love. Amen? God's long-suffering is holy. It's holy long-suffering. It's holy mercy. You can adorn any attribute of God with His holiness. But you cannot take the other attributes and do that. Is God love holy? That only makes sense. It's His chief attribute. And God has to be magnified in His holiness. Amen? Now these living creatures that are described here, cherubim, they're later called cherub, cherubs in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 3, chapter 10, verse 15. I don't have time to deal with all this. But the cherubim in the Bible are always connected with the justice of God. That's where they, that they show up here. And they're, they're above the cherubim in this open space, in this vision in Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees a throne. And on the throne, he sees the likeness of a man. He sees these visions of the glory of God in his holiness. Amen. And now, the, the cherub, I have to be careful, I'll stray off here. The cherub are associated with the justice of God. You know what justice is? Justice is the exercise of God's holiness in dealing with sin. God moves to eradicate it. Let me ask you a question, ladies. All of you ladies with children, if you held the cure for the disease of your child, would you withhold it from them? Well, neither does God withhold the cure for our disease of sin. Amen. He moves to eradicate it. It's holiness. Amen. And so justice moves to deal with sin, to eradicate it, to remove it. And so... When God moves in his holiness, it's a fearful thing. The justice of God is a fearful thing. Aren't you glad you and I didn't get what we deserve? Amen. The Bible calls it a horrible tempest. It's a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Amen. He's holy. And so these cherubim are connected with the, the justice of God, which is the exercise of his holiness in, in removing sin. Remember when Adam sinned, God drove him from the garden, and what did he put at the gate of the garden? Two cherubim with a flaming sword, so he couldn't get back in. And you're not going back to Eden, buddy. Everybody's trying to. You're not going back to Eden. You can eat all the herbs you want, be a vegan, you know, you do whatever you want. You're still going to die, buddy. You're not going back to Eden. Amen. That's right. But uh, I lapsed into my southern there. That's right. Did you get that, brother? Okay. I'm mad to feel at home a little bit this week. Amen. But you know, um, these cherubim, remember the Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark? What was in the Ark? The law of God had a mercy seat on top of it. Yep. Those two cherubims, their wings were touching. Those things were beaten out of a piece of gold. 
The man that did that never did it before in his life. God filled him with the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost gave him the wisdom to be a metallurgist. He beat that out with a, out of a solid piece of gold. And those cherubims were, their wings were touching, their faces stared down. They were staring down. They were fixed that way. They're staring down on the mercy seat. You know why? These, 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 these celestial beings that are connected with the holiness of God and the justice of God, they do not understand mercy. They're staring at it. They're always associated with the justice of God. And so, this is what God exposes Ezekiel to. By the way, the seraphim, remember them? Isaiah 6, what are they doing day and night? They're repeating this, holy, holy, holy. By the way, the moral attributes of God would be like, well, let me just say this right quick. God has four natural attributes. He's, he's holy first. Then he has four natural attributes. He's omniscient. All of you are familiar with that term, which means he, know, he what? He knows everything. He's omnipotent, which is a Bible word, Revelation 19, all-powerful. and Omnipresent, which means he's what? Everywhere. Now, I cannot understand any of those. And by the way, my friend, God does not communicate those attributes to any believer. No one in here has any of those That's attributes. That's right. Amen. The fourth natural attribute, God is eternal. And we do, we have, God has communicated that attribute to us. His life is our life. Now, that's wonderful. I don't know. Amen. Amen. I mean, don't get excited. You're just going to live as long as God lives. Amen. <laughs> But then God has, besides his natural attributes, and by the way, God reveals himself first as holy and by his natural attributes. That's the way he first reveals himself in the Bible. And then later, God reveals his moral attributes like God is love. God is immutable. He cannot change. Uh, all the, uh, there, there are many of them. I'm not going to try to go over all of them. But anyway, God communicates those to us. God puts his love in your heart. Amen. 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 So my son was in a, my son was with a gentleman the other day that's different religion, different nationality, different culture, everything different. He looked at my son and he said, I cannot believe we're in the same automobile. We have nothing in common, but here we are. And my son looked at him and said, my God in me makes me love all mankind. And he said, we may not have anything in common, but we can be friends. That's what we can have in common. We'll be friends. Amen. Amen. God in you makes you love. God communicates that to me. But these creatures, this is what, is, you get a little bit of glimpse of what Ezekiel sees here. He sees God in his glory, and his response to it is found in verse 28, the last phrase. And when I saw it, which direction did he go? Did he go in this direction? No, sir. <laughs> no. Which direction did he go, friend? Down. 
The Bible says, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now notice what the Lord does in chapter 2, if you will. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impotent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are rebellious house, yet shall they know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, and thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou doest dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their, their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. Now, this is the normal pattern of the ministry of the Word of God. The first thing God does to make him not fear the congregation he's going to preach to is God reveals to Ezekiel the holiness of God. Amen. And Ezekiel begins his ministry with a fear of God Amen. and no fear of man. Amen. 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 What happens when you fear man above God? You begin to cut corners. You begin to, you know, kind of neglect the things that magnify God's holiness in the church. Your standards slip. Yeah. Come on. Amen. Amen. I, I, Come do you on. understand, my friend? Your belief and your understanding of God will determine your behavior. Yes, sir. Amen. Sound doctrine leads to a sound life. Yeah. Belief determines behavior. And what, you, what God reveals about himself should determine how, how do we respond to it. There was a young man one time at youth camp. Some of you probably know we have summer camp like you all do. And what a beautiful place out there. Our camp is not as pretty as that. We're on the river, but it's not, it's not anything like the beauty of that place. Is, you know, it's not like our camp. But anyway, but anyway kid asked me one time, he said, why do y'all do all these things? Why you got all these rules? I said, we're trying to honor the Lord. Yeah. We're not doing this to make you miserable. Amen. 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 We're trying to honor God. Amen. 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 Let me tell you something, friend. God's, you know, we don't control anything. We don't just flip the switch and make God do anything. Right. Amen. We're not in control of anything. I'll tell you this, you might not control it, but you can sure hinder the work of God. Amen. You can do it by offending His holiness. Yes, sir. Modern Laodicean apostate professing Christianity is unholy. Yes. Amen. 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 Every 
revival that you study and read about in history and anyone I've ever been associated with was marked by holiness. Amen. 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 We had a two-week revival one time. Sixty people saved. They poured out about 150 gallons of liquor. Amen. Amen. They burned cigarettes, magazines. Amen. They burnt, we burnt them in a barrel. Amen. You remember how they burned the, cur- the people? That, you remember the burning in the book of Acts? That's what we did. Amen. There were shorts and hot pants. and This was back in the 70s. There was <laughs> magazines. People clean the stuff out of their houses that God wasn't pleased with, and we brought it, we burn it. They burnt music, clothes, they got rid of it. Amen. They had this famous revival, you know, in Burlington, North Carolina, and the guy even wrote a book about it. I don't guess he wants to be forgotten, but. Shut up. These guys. Promoting their self, you know they got a, you know they got a, a, this glorious, profound thought they got to give you every day, you know, on their social media. Amen. The recovering fundamentalist. I went on one of their pages the other day, and they was arguing about something. This is what I put on there. I wrote this. The bizarre figures of contemporary Jewish apocalyptic literature shows a stylized phraseology of ancient conceptual imagery, period. That's what I put on there. Amen. Yeah, amen. Answer a fool according to his father. Amen. Lack of holiness, they start cutting corners. Amen. I saw some pictures from that meeting. I didn't like what I saw. Amen, brother. Good preaching, brother. Amen. 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 And I'm not being I'm not trying to be mean, but before before Ezekiel begins his prophetic ministry, the Lord shows him the glory and the holiness of God. Affects him with it. Now listen to me. I got, I've been saved 51 years. Nearly fixed and come up on 52 years. I've pastored for 48 years. And I, I'm not, I don't know everything, but I'm not a novice. Amen. I'm not a beginner. Amen. 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 I've never seen an eminent man of God that was not effective. Holiness of God. Never. And I've known some. I've, I've heard Brother Roloff preach. I've had the privilege of hearing some of the Dr. Ralph Sexton Sr. In fact, I heard him preach on this subject, and it changed my life, literally. Pointed it in another direction. Amen. Amen. Brother Sammy Allen. 
preach against everything. Because he didn't want to offend God's holiness. It wasn't just to be mean. That's what people think about us. We're mean and hurtful. No, my friend. We respect the holiness of God. Yes, amen. Amen. I tell you what bothers me with how unholy I am at times in my own life. If you be honest, it's the same with you. This prepares him for his coming struggle in the ministry. God tells him, You're going to a stiff necked people, they're rebellious. And so we must be influenced by God's holiness. So they would fear God instead of men. You realize Jeremiah was considered a traitor. In his ministry, he was telling everyone to submit themselves to an invading army and king. And he appears to them to be a, a traitor. And he winds up in the prison house. And the king, you know, because of all the princes, he was afraid to do it openly, but privately he called Jeremiah to himself without anyone knowing and his counselors and princes he called him to him he said is there any word from the Lord he said yeah there is he said but I'll make a bargain with you I'll tell you what God said if you can get me out of that prison let me stay up here in these chambers he said okay so he delivered the message he didn't like what he had to say but he knew it was true listen to me if a man is not affected by this He'll never be affected. Amen. 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 So is so a church. A church the same way. If a church is not, if a if a church is not affected by the holiness of God, it'll never be affected. Amen. An unholy church will not have the power of God. Amen. He's the Holy Spirit. Is absolute perfection. Amen. And this divine chief attribute, sooner or later, my friend, if you're in the yoke with him, if you're in the yoke with him, he will rub off on you. Amen. Amen. And this unholy, the unholy things that's done to it's a, it's a grief to me. It, it grieves my heart. It breaks my heart. Amen. All through the Bible, men's encounters with the holiness of God are fearful indeed. Remember the first time God called Moses to the backside of the desert. For the sake of time, I'll just mention it. He sees a bush that is burning but is not consumed. And he draws an eye to see this sight. And the Lord speaks to him out of the bush. And what does he say? Put off thy shoes. For the ground whereon, whereon thou standest is holy. You know why it was holy? Because God was there. Amen. If you take God away from there, it's dirt. Amen. But God is there. Amen. The ground whereon thou standest is holy. You see, he's affected by the holiness of God before he's sitting to eat. Amen. Amen. Remember Daniel? 
Daniel was in the presence of the Lord. I read that, I laugh. I'm sorry, Daniel, but I laugh. He's laying on his face and cannot move. There's no strength left in him. And the angel touches him and sits him on his feet in the palms of his hands. He's, everything in the presence of God, as far as human, humanly speaking, is exhausting. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Falls up. John sees the Lord in his glorified position after his ascension. And what does he do? He falls at his feet. Here's who we do. Friends, that's a mystery. Amen. Amen. The first comprehension of God is this is holy. That's the first comprehension of God in the Bible. He's holy. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that God's holiness affected you? You think about that when you're scanning the TV channels. It'll govern what you watch. When's the last time you were listening to something? And you do that along beside the holiness of God to see how it measured up. Amen. By the way, my friend, the holiness of God among his people makes them modest. Amen. And the effect is humility. Amen. Down there. Pride lifts which direction? Pride lifts up. Listen, Satan, Satan brought pride into heaven and God kicked him out. He brought it down here and sowed it in the hearts of men. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Humility is the fruit of a man. The fruit, the fruit of God in a man's heart. It comes from being exposed to his holiness. Amen. Amen. That must be the first comprehension of God. How many remember when he came down on Mount Sinai? I turned you to all these passages. We don't have time. God said, set bounds around them. Build a fence, basically is what God said. Build a fence. You know what that says? A fence at Mount Sinai. If an animal breaks through the gaze, thrust it through. God said, Mount Sinai, God comes down. And the mountain is covered with smoke and it's trembling and all. Moses saw that sight and he said that he trembled exceedingly. And a fence, well, that fence wasn't needed. Them people ran in that direction. But what does that, what does that fence say? Keep your distance. Why? Because God is holy. That was a fearful thing. Go read a, go read a, Hebrews chapter 12, what it says about that experience. Amen. It was a fearful thing. Amen. Amen. And so I have to stop here. I've got so much here I could say. but I have to stop here. The, the result of this is found in all of the Bible. There's so many examples I cannot give on. I've got one, two, three, four. I've got about 15 <laughs> references here I couldn't begin to give you. But there's an immeasurable gulf between God and man, and it's God's holiness and when you're exposed to that, 
it creates a fear and a godly reverence for him. It's called the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says it is beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of God. That's our response to his holiness. It's, a rever it's reverential and deeply respectful of who he is. Amen? The false teachers of the last days prophesied by Jude says this. This is what it says about them. It sums them up with this phrase. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And it says they're without fear. There's no comprehension in them of God's holiness. And I'll be quite honest with you. This subject makes men uncomfortable. Yes, it does. It really does. Makes them uncomfortable. So there we are. 15 till. Um, Lord willing, would you pray for me this week? I sure want to be a blessing and a help to you people. And uh, thank you again, brother. Thank you, brother.